Hello everyone, and welcome to the Practice Network podcast, a brand new learning resource built from the ground up for frontline workers and support staff across Sussex. The East and West Sussex Practice Networks have been funded by Changing Futures and Action by Just Life. My name's Sam, and I'm the Practice Network Development Lead of a year-long project, a fact-finding mission to identify and unite frontline workers dealing with multiple compound needs clients across East and West Sussex. I almost had it. Um, I'm joined by my co-host, Jules, today. Who are you? Hi, I'm Jules. I work on the Brighton and Hove Frontline Network, which is a network of support workers across Brighton and Hove. I do that part-time, and I also work on a co-production co- project called Common Ambition. In each episode of the Practice Networks podcast, we'll be interviewing experts and workers from across the support sector in a bid to better understand our own roles and each other's. Ultimately, it's about learning and growing together. Um, As this is our first episode, we're joined by a Just Life employee truly worthy of being our first ever guest. Alex Proctor, our lived experience lead. Hello, Alex. Hi. Hi. Um, Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, Alex? Okay, so um, I'm Alex. I'm Just Life Lived Experience Lead. Um, I'm part of the Research Policy and Communication team. Uh, it's a newly created role, and it's all about um, how do we ensure that Just Life is an organisation that is as led by lived experience as possible to be. Um, I'm also kind of responsible um, for the way that we design our services overall and making sure that there's lived experience leadership throughout the organisation and um, mm-hmm. also research outputs which includes peer research and our general research making sure it's led by lived experience um so i was hired by just life i was already working for them but this role was created last year basically to look at ways that just life can become more led by lived experience mm-hmm. whatever that may mean and i'm sure we'll explore that and also to look at how our research output can actually be led by what's happening with people on the ground and what's actually relevant to people who have lived experience of homelessness so we're going to start every episode with uh, a check-in and Jules is just going to talk through what that actually means. Well, it's part of modelling good practice that we just kind of get a gauge of how everyone is feeling in the room. Um, so if we, I will, don't mind starting today, bit of a temperature check of how I'm feeling and today we've chosen to think, talk about one thing that inspires you. So I'm feeling slightly nervous. This is the first time I've ever done a podcast. Welcome. So do bear with me if there are any mistakes just like or pauses just like that one Mm -hmm. um and something that inspired me was a discussion with changing futures actually yesterday on trauma-informed care it was a very small group where we reflected on some training but it was a very very rich conversation and was a good reminder of that people are very different places with trauma-informed care depending on the service and where you work so i found it i found it really rich Fantastic. Thank Over you, to you, Alex. So temperature check and something that inspired you today. Cool. Um, so temperature check. I'm feeling all right. I, I've done some podcasts and radio before and I always really enjoy it, but I'm a bit nervous as well because it's obviously a new thing, um, but also having a good time. So cool. The uh, thing that's inspired me recently, slightly outside of a sector, I read a book called 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman, which is amazing mm. and I can't recommend enough. And it's, that's basically the sum total of all the weeks we have on Earth on average wow. as, a, as a human. How many did you say? 4,000, really? which is not much. Mm. And the book is about focusing on that and how to kind of where to use your attention, but not in a this is what you should do. It's more about how does it feel to know that. And I just think 
for me as a worker, it's about being a human first in all my life. So it's kind of a nice zoom out and to be like, actually, all the work I do in that framework as a human. So yeah, really recommend it. It's a great book. It's a little bit confronting, but you know, it's great. It's really good. Amazing. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I'm currently reading Radical Help by Hilary Cottom. Uh, we are doing a, a book club next week, actually. Yay. Uh, with our manager, which is really exciting. And it's actually books that are going to be focused on the uh, welfare state, support sector, etc. Um, and Hillary is basically establishing a new way of, of doing things um, uh, throughout our society. And about halfway through, I'll probably report back in in the next episode when I've finished it, but uh, uh, thoroughly recommended heat check uh currently quite warm <laughs> we're at the fantastic projects facility in brighton uh in their lovely podcast studio called the edit and uh there is only recycled air in here so <laughs> quick thank you to the projects for letting us use this space as well yeah absolutely so leading into the chat your your job role alex um are, is it a new one is I guess my first question and and how do you feel you can encapsulate what you do at Just Life? That's a question that's a very long question yeah <laughs> <laughs> or I should say the answer could be very long but mm. it, I think so to answer the first part of the question it is a new role for Just Life mm. um, from what I understand across the sector and actually beyond our sector and in other social care and public health sectors there are more and more lived experience type leads um, whether it's called that or not, different words in different sectors. But yeah, it's a new role in Just Life. Um, and really, it was born out of, I guess there's two things really that underpinned why my role was made. So first of all, I'm in the research and policy, research policy and communications team. Um, and what our research was showing us was that we actually, the, the people that we reached in our research and the people that we reached in our work, there wasn't much kind of intersectionality in terms of um, ethnic backgrounds that people might have mm. or religious backgrounds or sexuality, uh, disability, neurodivergency. But actually we knew that certain groups of the population are overrepresented in homelessness. So mm -hmm. we were like, well, why is that happening? So that was one kind of need. And the other need really is just we, the more research that we did, the more we were like, actually we need to hear from the people who we're working for, yeah. you know, people who are currently in the system, people currently or who have experienced um, homelessness or the, or the temporary accommodation system. So there's kind of two needs there. One, to broaden out who we're talking to and how we're finding them and why our research doesn't reflect that reality. And the other, just to get the voice of those people in the design of the research as well as in the answering of the questions. Yeah. So my role was kind of born out of that need. And then like these things do, it's also become kind of a lot more. And um, it's sort of being defined as we go along a little bit. I think this is kind of a consequence of it being a little bit of a sort of we're testing it and seeing what happens which just life is really good for I think they're mm. really good at going actually there's a gap here there's a need we don't necessarily know what the role will look like or what the outcome will be but we know we need to get in there sure um it's done that with other projects like common ambition and, and like social connections as well really social connections project mm. um and probably countless others that I can't think of but my role so we have the peer research project which I can talk about a bit in in a while because yeah. that is a really exciting project but before that a big part of my role for this year has actually been about saying what are we already doing at Just Life mm -hmm. and there's been a really big piece of work that's been ongoing in the past nine months I'd say 
which has been about me actually meeting with our staff. So before we're even talking to people who use our services or people external, it's about seeing where the staff are at with this concept of lived experience and, and how it's held in the organisation. And the reason for that is because I think it can be really easy in a sector that's about trying to um, plug the gaps really in order to help people to kind of charge in and be like, this is the solution. But actually, when it comes to lived experience, part of the question is why why is there such a gap in terms of how we have people with lived experience helping us design the systems? And I think the first place to start is actually looking at what you've got in the organisation. So a big part of my work has been doing that and um, meeting with people from across the organisation, just getting a sense of what lived experience means to them and what lived experience leadership means to them. Mm. And it's been a really interesting journey because the short answer is it means completely different things to every single person, as I think it should. But that further Mm. complifies is not a word. (laughs) Complexifies is also not a word, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to use it. It further complexifies things. And I, I think it's actually worth, as you say, taking that step back then. I mean, what does live experience or expertise by experience mean? Uh, we, Changing Futures, I should point out, have an absolutely fantastic glossary of sort of the changing vernacular, the changing language of the support sector. We will be engaging with that a bit later on. Uh, lived experience, what's the simplest way to put it, do you guys think? Ooh. Blimey. I mean, I don't know what you think, Jules, but I think there is no simple way of putting yeah, it. Okay. What, what do you think? <laughs> I, I would love to come up with a really concise, succinct definition. Mm. Um, but I think, yeah, I don't think that exists. I think someone who has experience of the system or of a system, or not even a system, just experience of something that we work on as workers perhaps mm. yeah because you can have there are different types of lived experiences not just within homelessness either yeah um and to use a word that might be triggering for some you can have experience of trauma for example you can mm-hmm. have lived experience of substance use or whatever that might be it's yeah and i think in the sector is kind of using those experiences in a non-extractive tokenistic way mm. very important mm-hmm. to explore how we work in the system and mm. how we how we engage people and listen to those voices who have experienced a system that have often wronged them mm. and experience of the homeless system for example is trauma in and of itself really it's a very traumatic thing to be homeless and to experience the housing pathway and the services that aren't always perhaps catered to to people who need them really yeah, mm. yeah. and i think i think i mean i think that's brilliant I think that summarizes it really as well as you probably can in some ways yeah but I would add as well you know as someone who's also a researcher Mm. um I think that there's also something about what do we mean when we say lived and experienced which I think you touched on a bit there Jules like actually if we look at what those words mean in and of themselves for a definition that almost sits above what we're applying it for in the homeless sector it's about life isn't it it's about what happens to you and what you perceive and what you experience in life that is lived experience we all have lived experience of our lives whatever that may be Mm -hmm. and so when you look at it that way it kind of relates to the book that i was talking about the 40 the the uh, 4,000 weeks really when you look at it in that way it's almost ludicrous to use a a a big word (laughs) but it's it's pretty crazy that we don't have um we don't already have lived experience as the cornerstone of how we do things. Yeah, and absolutely. I think there's something about the way that the sector works. 
necessary in some ways where it almost creates a dehumanizing space i don't think that's necessary but i think that there's something about the the work that's done is quite difficult and so i think there's a lot of boundaries that need to be put up so that people doing the work can keep themselves psychologically safe but mm -hmm. one of the byproducts of that is that it can create quite a dehumanizing space sure and i think that actually this talk of lived experience in a way are we just talking about rehumanizing a space that's been dehumanized not necessarily from ill intent but mm. from the intensity of the work that's been placed on the people working in the sector i don't know and it can create a bit of a us and them situation um us being the so-called workers them being the people mm -hmm. who we are supporting mm. um which isn't helpful either but in some contexts, for example, in frontline support work, the actual your whole the whole purpose of your job is to support someone who might not have the capacity to meet those needs themselves either. Mm. So mm. that the, there is there is an us in them, which I don't want to say it's unavoidable. But how do we then bridge that gap? When I mean, this is obviously in a kind of frontline support context of really ensuring that the support that you offer is person centered and guided by that person and by, by what they want out, out of that support. I remember there was a Frontline Networks report a few years ago, and I think it was like one in 20 workers had accessed support themselves. So there's clearly a lot of people in the sector who have what could be considered a lived experience. And I think that there's something about how we divide in our heads roles that almost needs to be deconstructed a little bit. Sure. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and I think that there's also something about the danger of platforming one story as well, which we definitely see happen a lot in, in the sector. And I know has been something that's talked about a lot. How do you make space for people to share their stories while not also saying this is the story and it's all on this person? Um, because that's a lot to put on one person's shoulders. Exactly. It's, it's, a big burst, it's a big burden to carry. And someone's identity is also more than their lived experience Absolutely. as well. Yeah. Like yeah. Someone's value is more than... A, potentially quite difficult experience that, that they have been through and you know people working in the sector so i mean to plug common ambition a little bit mm. um part of how we work is very much to ask the person if what they want changing in the sector as opposed to tell me your story and we can use that story emphasis on the word use it's mm. not about using stories it is about asking people who have been who have experienced the system what they want to change which, which there is a quite an important distinction there that someone's value isn't that experience. We've just been talking about what it actually means to work with someone with lived experience. And uh, I think Jules is the perfect person to ask about that. Oh, maybe. I'm a person. Uh, so I work as participation lead on a project called the Common Ambition Project. Mm -hmm. It is a homeless healthcare and systems improvement project and we work through co-production. We've been going for about three years and it's taken us quite a long time to build up the processes to, or to exist really. Um, we've tried to kind of co-produce as much as we can all of the processes of how do we work alongside people with lived experience to do systems improvement work. Mm -hmm. But I guess one piece of advice that I would like to give anyone who wants to engage or work alongside people with lived experience is be kind to yourself as well. It's not easy. We are by no means perfect. No project is. Um, and a lot of what we've done is through trial and error. And it's through it, 
through the experiences that we've had, through sometimes challenging experiences that we've had along the way mm. um, to work alongside people with lived experience. Um, so I guess, yeah, and it can be scary and it can be an ethical minefield mm. often. Um, we've kind of been speaking a little bit about some of the issues and ethics of it in this podcast. And there are different levels of engagement as well. Some people might be aware of the ladder of engagement, kind of at the kind of really low level of tell me what you think about this service all the way up so to speak to kind of when you're completely co-producing something yeah and that's okay to be at different parts of that of that ladder of engagement as well um because it's not easy and it is a new way of working for the sector and for all of us really mm. um i think there is a shift in the sector which is really positive generally mm. um but yeah be kind to yourself when when you do this piece of work because it, it is new it is different and there are a lot of kind of ethical challenges aren't quite the right word ethical mm -hmm. aspects that we need to think about constantly so give it a go be careful be gentle be kind um <laughs> but yeah i think a big piece of with that is ensuring you're really transparent with the people you're working with about your limitations as well what you might be able to be doing might what you might what limitations might be financially um anything like that just be really really transparent all the time so be transparent and be kind and try it safely so i loved everything that you just said jules i think it's just brilliant and what amazing advice as well just be totally. kind is i think we could all actually do with remembering that and effectively being human isn't it really so one of the projects i've been um working on the peer research project we we did a a test run of research techniques and we asked people to to pick basically fake questions and one of them was how many times the seagulls attack and steal food and great question it was really fun to answer but there's something in that that was actually quite central to the process which was actually having fun yeah. and looking for times when fun and also joy and humor can come out because those are the things that are, are human, you know, and, and again, I bang on about this a lot, rehumanizing. And I think really that goes back to what you're saying, which is actually, you know, this work is about rehumanizing. It's yeah. about rehumanizing systems. It's about um, how we, how we within the system as workers treat ourselves like humans rather than like resources. And it's also about how we work with people alongside each other. And um, I think that something else that's really important to remember as well is that lived experience isn't just our clients. You know, there is, as we've talked about earlier, there's lived experience in the room quite often in an organization. I'm a person who has lived experience. Yeah. Um, and there are many others, I'm sure, listening, many people here who probably have many hats. <laughs> so that's a really important thing to remember. And I think that comes to... Um, the idea of how we create safety and part and how we work ethically and I think there's something about creating safety and there's also something about creating space to take risk yeah. and that's really important and I think that when I say taking risk I think what I'm talking about really is it's about how do we how do we work in a way that's kind but psychologically informed but doesn't take away people's autonomy and doesn't take mm. away people's um, sense of them as a human, warts and all. Yeah. Because we all are, you know, we're all humans, warts <laughs> and all, aren't we? Um, and I think that risk is really important, actually. And I think creating projects where you think, what is it that we're trying to achieve? And rather than how do we make this a completely risk averse space, it's 
what risks do we need to take to achieve something? And actually, if you're working on systems improvement, if you're working on research that's informed by lived experience, mm. you are talking about things that are that have, you know, systems of oppression potentially, yeah. um, systems yeah. that have potentially caused trauma, um, and systems that are archaic and hard and slow to change. And you are going to be taking risk if you're going to do that effectively. So I think the question is, how do we take risk in a way but it's ethical rather than how do we avoid all risk. So I would throw that in there as a really important thing, I think, in my experience. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I've had enough conversations now to know that we can afford to be agile and we can afford to be experimental. And those are things that, you know, they're, new, they're usually New Year's resolutions for people to take a step back and to really consider your work, consider yourself. But it's fantastic to hear that those are the bedrocks of what you're trying to produce, you know, what you're actually trying to achieve going forwards. Um, from your time, this question can go to both of you, I suppose, but mm. what are the positive changes and what are some of your frustrations, perhaps, of the time that you've been in the support sector? Jules. <laughs> no, forget you. What you can't first. see is I just put my hand up. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm being inspired by, yeah. by these conversations, Fantastic. really. Um, what I have also seen is, is a slight softness in how we support workers as mm. well yes um yeah. it's difficult it's hard work um there's you know vicarious trauma all of these things um and i think what we do need to promote or to continue to promote is reflective practice for workers it's clinical supervision it's kind of one saying saying it out loud that it's difficult being a frontline worker and two, ensuring that we that we support frontline workers' well-being as well, which which is partly what the frontline network is yeah. is for as well. And it's the to have, networks as well. Exactly, it's to have a network of people supporting each other, kind of lifting each other up, sharing good practice across the sector. And again, we, we're going back to kind of being kind again, and this kind of slight softness that we that we need, not just in homelessness, not just in the charity sector, but in life. We we want to yeah. be softer. We want to be kinder. And there has been a a drive towards that and i hope that it, that it will continue mm. yeah I, I feel that we're almost in a post we acknowledge that it's hard sort of space now where mm. people are actually pushing forwards mm. and uh even this role you know uh the practice networks they exist to foster a sense of community uh provide mm. actual applicable help um yeah. you know uh, the dream for this has always been Brighton and Hove has so much of a focus, but there are people uh, on the peripheries that just, you, you know, they do feel like they're, they're sort of left out. So, I've got my hand in the air now. Jump in, please. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think the fact that your this role, both your roles and, you know, the work that's being done exists is amazing. It's a testament to the fact that there's a need for it as yeah. well. And just to acknowledge all the people before who've, who've put the work in, shouting that that need is there, that yeah. we all need mm. space to be psychologically mm. safe and and reflective i think something that i'd be really keen on that i'm not sure really if it exists and i've been searching for it and, mm. and i haven't yet found it really is that space as we talk more about lived experience in the sector and as we move into a space where we look at actually the reality which is that we need to co-design with people's life experiences mm. in mind of the system um i think that there's something quite confronting when you're a worker who has lived experience you know speaking from my own personal experience mm when you're like, actually, that's something that I experienced. I didn't come up through participation routes, yeah. um, like free co-production projects. I just started working. And there's, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are in a similar position. And I think there's a lot of expertise to be found there, actually, in people who really do have a hat in both worlds. Yeah. But I also think that there's something about how do we support that 
And how do we support that experience? Yeah. Because certainly for me, it's been quite a quite a journey on how do I make sure I get the the support needs that I have met as someone who is in a worker space, but also has lived some of the things that I'm working with. Sure. And I think that that's a question that's really important and I'd be really keen to explore and answer. So if anyone's listening and thinks the same thing, drop me a line. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, uh, please do contact yeah. me and I'll get through to Alex. If you guys have any questions today, obviously I can pass them on to Jules, on to Alex, and uh, we can focus on them as topics in, in future episodes. Let us know what you want to hear from this podcast in the future. Any content that we make for the Practice Networks, as I've always said in the newsletters and the comms with, uh, with the entire network, it is very much built by you as much as it is by us. So let us know what you'd like to see and you will see more of it. It's been a pleasure to talk to you today, Alex. Oh, thank you. No, it's been fantastic chatting with both of you. I feel like I've learned a lot and got a lot from this conversation, actually. <laughs> it's been fun. Yeah, it I has. think it's been very fun. Yeah. I, I speak for myself. I was a little nervous going in. <laughs> and uh, it's been a really fantastic opportunity to get to do this today and uh, to learn more about your role uh, rather than just, you know, sat around at lunchtime sort mm -hmm. of grilling you. I thought, why not actually get you on a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Grill you in a booth instead. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, our live studio audience are ready to... Say thanks so much to you guys, both uh, Alex and Jules, for your time today. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. This has been the Practice Networks podcast, a production by Just Life on behalf of Changing Futures. If you have any feedback or questions about the East and West Sussex practice networks, their purpose or any of the content we produce, please do reach out today to sam at justlife.org.uk. Let us know what you'd like to hear in future episodes and don't forget to share it with your own network to help it grow.